Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men podcast, the show helping men to open up about manhood. My name is Simon Rennie and my aim is to get men talking. From mental health to fatherhood and everything in between, Mindful Men creates a safe space for conversation. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you for joining me. It means a world for you to join me and talk about men's issues. And if you love what you hear, please subscribe and share the episode with your mates. You can also join the conversation on Instagram and YouTube, and I'd love to connect with you there. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get mindful. G'day guys, and welcome to the Mindful Men podcast. My name is Simon Rennie, and today we're getting mindful about entrepreneurship. I think I said that right and discovering time and money freedom that we often dream about. And to help us through this, we've got Andrew Logan from right here on the Sunshine Coast. How are you going, Andrew? Yeah, great to be here, Simon. Yeah, we've been, well, I grew up on the Gold Coast. We've been on the sunny coast for seven years now, I think. Um, so a beautiful part of the world, although it's not incredibly sunshiny at the moment. It's a false <laughs> false advertising at the moment. But I don't think it's been like that for a little while now. We've had a yeah. lot of rain lately and I think we've got more to come. But yeah, you're up in the top of the hill and I'm down the bottom of the hill. So it's nice to connect locally for a change. Um, yeah, this is cool. Yeah. Um, now you're the founder and CEO of Leverage to Legacy. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of the, as we dig into the story more, just um, just talking really about that that legacy creation and how do we leverage what we're doing and turn that into legacy. So I thought it was a cool name for for that umbrella term for, you know, um, what we do now and, and the, the sort of moving out of the norm and moving out of that sort of nine to five. And yeah, that's that's our life now. And, and hopefully we can help inspire more people. Yeah, awesome. I'm really looking forward to this chat today because I think when we had COVID, a lot of people, myself included, were, were thinking, okay, surely there's more to life than what we've been doing and, you know, discovering, you know, new ways to earn money and, and diversify our income as well. So, yeah, I'm really excited about today and maybe I can learn some tricks. Um, but I'd like to start off this show by just giving you the mic and letting you tell us a bit about who you are and where you grew up. You said from the Gold Coast. So, yeah, life growing up and some of those key life events that kind of led to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Well, it's funny. It's funny that you use the phrase, surely there's more to life than this, because um, that's essentially like the opening lines of my book. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, it's, well, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely within the first page of my, of the opening chapter of my book. Uh, but I guess, yeah, if we, if we, if we quickly go right back to the start, I mean, I, I grew up on the Gold Coast, you know, professional parents, you know, and white collar parents. And they, you know, they did everything that they thought was the best for my brother and I, which involved private schooling and all those sorts of things. And I was academically strong, you know, like I, I was just one of those kids who, who was at the end of the day, you know, fortunate to be gifted academically. And so from a very young age, you're told you're smart, go be a doctor. And I think, you know, over the years, certainly looking back, my whole school life was about, well, you just, you got to finish school, get good grades, go to university, become a doctor, become a surgeon, even, you know, make you three or $400,000 a year as an orthopedic surgeon, hopefully get a job with the Australian cricket team or the Wallabies or, or something like that, you know, as their surgeon, like a Peter Myers or someone like that, you know, who was actually a good friend of mine's dad. Um, but 
they, they sort of hit this point where you look back and was like, well, was it actually my idea or did parents and teachers and friends and environment all with the best of intentions put it into your head that, hey, you're smart. The best way to then maximize that is to earn an income as a doctor. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you do what you're told to do and you go to university and, um, you know, that's when those first little seeds of doubt started kind of creeping up into the back of my head. And, you know, you're a couple of years into university and it's like, hmm, is this pathway actually the pathway I want to go down? And and yeah. and as I said, like a literally, is surely there's more to life than this. And I started traveling a bit. I, I took some time off and I backpacked through the UK, through Europe, through America, like working and, and traveling around. And you start to sort of understand this seesaw almost of, well, is, is there money or life? And so I was actually studying physiotherapy as my undergrad degree. And I finished that and I started working with an orthopedic surgeon directly. And he sort of said to me like, well, I can take you through the process, but um, I don't have much of a life. <laughs> and, and he had a very honest conversation with me. And that's when it started to think of, well, you know, I, I want to see the world. I want to travel more. And fortunately, uh, I was young and single and I was good at my job and I had a good income, but I knew from a very early age, early twenties that I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life. And I set myself the goal of being financially free at 33 because it sounded really cool. And and it was like a nice hashtag, but essentially I was about 23 when it all started to really come together. And I was like, okay, you've got 10 years now. You know, thankfully I was a, you know, six figure earner. You're making money. You're single live, live below your means. You know, don't, Mm -hmm upgrade your life too soon or anything, just live a simple life and use that good income that you have and start putting it to work and start investing. And that's really when we started going down that path. Now, you know, a lot of lessons and we can dig into a lot of them deeper. But um, the big thing then was then, you know, when I met my now wife and we, we started a family and that was really the big thing of, okay, truly understanding that as much as I could make money and as much as I even got to travel the world because I was working with athletes and I was working for the Australian Olympic ski team. So I was mm-hmm. getting paid to go to Canada and, you know, work with athletes and that, but my family was at home mm-hmm. and I was like, well, you know, this is awesome, but it's only me that's here. <laughs> Angie's home changing nappies and I'm skiing. Like it's, it's, yeah. that's not sustainable either. <laughs> so Uh, that was really when we kind of really doubled down, tripled down as a husband and wife of like, you know, the the goal is to be the parents who are there for their children all the time. So we need to look at our time. We need to look at our wealth. We need to look at our income creation and create ways of making money that don't involve us not seeing the kids. And so that's what really like, you know, there were those initial conversations in the head, but really thankfully met someone who was on completely the same page. And we really pushed down that path because we wanted to be different parents to the parents we were going to be. Yeah. It reminded me of when you were talking about like going through high school where I grew up, I grew up in the Northern suburbs of Adelaide. And, and so that's a very working class environment, pockets of welfare, working class. They had the Holden's plant there. So a lot of guys from school would leave actually early and go make 50 grand working, you know, 12 hour shifts, even the night shift at Holdens, building cars. But I remember back then, like there not being many options or discussions in particularly in my environment around what did work life look like mm. after school. And so like, I, I mean, I was into my sport, I was into my AFL and my athletics and basketball and soccer. And 
And I had dreams, you know, being a physio because I'd been to a physio through football, but that's really all I knew about the workforce. Like I'd had been to a physio to help me with some hamstring issues, but I never got there. Like it was a bit too difficult for me. And then I remember coming to the end of high school and, and my story is a mental health story. And I remember year 13, because I, I repeated year 12 and I did visual art in school and I really found out it was a great way to, to ground myself and get through things like anxiety. But then I came to a crossroad at going into university. So do I do visual arts, which I loved? Didn't know anybody who did visual arts as a career or do I pick like a social science degree, which I ended up doing because that could lead to a nine to five job mm. and have this idea of working in an office white collar um you know not working in the in the holdens plant like all my friends were and maybe making 50 to sixty thousand dollars a year and having you know mortgages and and the australian dream as it were so i did that and i then had a 15-year career in the public service and i've done all sorts of amazing things but it never really filled me up never filled my cup up it never had me jumping out of bed at 6 a.m doing podcasts like i am these days and i always look back and go i wish I went down the visual arts route because it lit me up. It made me feel excited about the world. And I think so many guys particularly kind of, we're not sure where to go through high school or after high school. And some of us think it's a nine to five, some are tradies, some are doing you know shift work or fly in, fly out as well. And your story sounds very similar. You went into physiotherapy and it wasn't really lighting you up either. Reflecting back on that time, would you ever pick physio to go do that? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question. Um, just quick tangent, a, a, a very good friend of mine who's a, a fantastic visual artist and um, just as a general recommendation to people who are listening to this podcast, obviously, he he told me about a book called Drawing on the Mind and it was all just talking and I don't know if you've heard of it or read it, but, um, you know, just how there's, there's so many different forms of meditation and, and we think of that, you know, on the beach watching the sunset with our, you know, fingers crossed and legs crossed kind of stuff, but just anything that helps you take control of your mind. For me, it's running. You know, I just love to just escape the world and just go and run for an hour. But um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I, when I was working as a physio, especially in the early days was during the mining booms, you know? And mm. so, so many, again, so many young kids, 16, 17, they dropped out of school. And as physios, you've got to do pre-employment screening. You've got to make sure that they're, you know, that their body, they don't have anything. And you'd, you'd have three separate demographics and you'd have the 16 year old kid that's dropped out of school. He's going to get a tradie assistant job for $120,000 or something on the mines. And he's telling you about the bike he's going to buy, the jet ski he's going to buy, the Malu <laughs> ute that he's going to buy. And it's like, mm, okay, like, I'm here to be your physio, but hey, maybe you should have a plan B as well. <laughs> yeah. um, because then you'd get the second demographic that were the middle-aged husband, particularly obviously a very male-dominated area. That's like, I have to work 10 days on, 10 days off swing on, you know, Tanham Island or something, because that's the lifestyle that the wife and kids expect. Like, mm. and then you've got the 70 year old and they're still having to do pre-employment screenings every time their contracts are renewed and they've been a diesel fitter for 40 years and they're not happy. <laughs> they don't want to be there either. Um, but I think I, I, I have to say that I, I have to have done physio because that's how I met my wife. I met my wife through yep. working up in the hospital. She was in admin in the hospital. So of course um, physio at least allowed me to meet my wife and the thing that physio gave me, and, and I can never 
I can never dismiss it because it's, it's, it doesn't light me up now, but I, I was able to travel the world. Mm. I got to travel through the cricket world cup, the, you know, the world cup for skiing and stuff, but I met my wife and I also met some, some very good mentors in my life. We actually met through work who are still great mentors in my life. But I think the one thing that it did really, really train me to do was understand how to hear people's pain. And, you know, when you go to the physio, if there's anyone else who's listening as a physio, you'll know, like there's pretty much only three or four things wrong that really truly go wrong with your human body. There's there's three or four design flaws and mm-hmm. and pretty much every injury can can be like, put back to, I mean, whoever designed the knee did a shocking job. And so, you know, the hip's good, you know, the shoulders, yeah, like, but the knee's a shocker. So however that was designed, right? Like that is the weakest link in the human body. So you just know that 85, 90% of people are coming in, coming back to three or four different things. Now it's essentially, my dad was an engineer and my dad always said as an engineer, you know, engineering is pretty easy. If it's loose, tighten it. If it's tight, loosen it. And Mm -hmm. it was essentially the same thing with the human body. It's like, okay, well, are they weak? Strengthen them. Are they tight? Stretch them. (laughs) That was, And really the key just came down to diagnosing. A trained monkey could give you a stretching program, but it was the diagnosis and it was listening to the person. And in all seriousness, it really was, it wasn't Simon with his torn hamstring. It was, what are the actual challenges Simon's having? And how can I help him actually not just fix his hamstring, but improve his life? And so just through seeing 100 patients a week for 10, 15 years in a career and tens of thousands of conversations, I think that skill has been one skill that's allowed me then to move into different areas of life and really talk to people, you know, social media, face-to-face, but really help them build brands and help them with their marketing and all that kind of stuff. Because... I've, I've learned those skills of hearing their pain. So we did a lot of psychology of the brain when it comes to interpreting mm-hmm. pain. And that kind of stuff is the same, whether it's mental, whether it's emotional, whether it's social or whether it's, yeah, you, you know, you rolled your ankle kicking a footy. Um, it's all the same pain as far as your brain's concerned. So those skills uh, will, will be very beneficial, but yes, should I have done some different things should i've asked my wife out sooner should i've <laughs> traveled more you know yeah yeah like <laughs> life of regret there but i think you know i i do enjoy the fact and i'm still actually i haven't treated a patient in a long time but i'm still registered mm-hmm. um it's just one thing that i just i just never let go of because it's like you know what it's you never know you could just help someone one day and, and just you know just keep paying your registration each year because it, it is a good career that helps a lot of people yeah, I love how you said that like, you wouldn't have met your wife if you hadn't gone down that route. And I was mm. very similar. Like I wouldn't have never met my wife if I hadn't become a public servant and moved to Canberra and done all that public service stuff as well. And, and I wouldn't have kids today, like the two beautiful kids that I've got. So I love that. Um, so let's talk about family life. And I love to talk about parenting and fatherhood as well. What's it mean to be a dad to you? Yeah, well, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because um like we, we were just talking before we hit the record button. We were just talking. I, I just did a leadership um, sort of training with some people this morning, you know, through work. And um, like we, we talk about different levels of leadership and we talk about titled leadership and people have ranks and people have titles. And, and I think it's so important when it comes to parenting that you get the rank and title essentially of a dad. Um, you know, you, you become a father in name, you become a father in rank sort of stuff and, and people recognize that, but that doesn't mean anything. It's the verb of fatherhood, as opposed to the noun of being a dad, that's, that's really important to me. So 
you know, we're, we're so fortunate where we live. The kids school is, is 500 meters down the road. And so every afternoon and the dog is you know, dogs have incredible body clocks, right? It's like two 30, the dog, like two thirty one, And I haven't put the harness on her bang. Like why, why, why haven't we started walking yet? It's two thirty one that we can walk down, pick the kids up, you know, walk them home. And, and I think it's, you know, we've been able to over the last 10 sort of years or so 15 years when we really started that path of, you know, being financially free, I've just turned 40. So, you know, we've been financially free for essentially eight years or so. The, the most important thing for me is the modeling that we do for our children every day. Mm-hmm. And people sit there every day and say, well, you know, if you've got financial freedom, why are you still working? And it's like, because what does it teach my children if I just sit around and do nothing? And yeah. so I think, again, it's it's a verb, it's a responsibility, it's an honor, and it, but it is that obligation, it is that responsibility that we need to take and we need to honor that our children are watching us every single day. So that's really the most important thing to me is, is that when they leave home, they have a platform for success. And whatever pursuit, you know, our daughter, you know, I mean, she wants to like do Instagram for the rest of her life. And it's like, well, okay, like let's figure out how to do that. Our son is already, he's talking about creating a YouTube channel. He loves Timber, right? And so his name's Jack. So we've we've already sort of made him a little thing called Lumberjack, right? Because yep. you know, it's a lame dad joke. Um, <laughs> but you know, he makes birdhouses. So he's got his little lumber, you know, timber set up and he makes birdhouses that he sells at the the local markets and that. He's eight. Um, but now he's talking about, you know, like a YouTube channel where he can show off um, how he's making all these things and stuff. So, you know, it's it's so cool to be able to give them that platform. And had I been working still in a a traditional setup i just wouldn't have had the time the emotional energy the focus to allow them to really chase those dreams yeah i love that i love that this jack's vision of of this youtube my son he's right into pokemon card on youtube he was on the podcast he was on the mindful men podcast a a way back and he's keen to do another one about us opening pokemon cards on the podcast which is really cool like that he can do that in this day and age um, mm. and have some fun with with me to do that and you know i've gone back into my pokemon days remembering high school and and when they first come out and we're, we're talking about the same stuff so it's a really cool connection there that we've got um through that kind of platform as well thinking about your your fatherhood journey like is there something that you you know now that you wished you knew in, in say day one of being a dad uh, so, so for me, you know, when I, when I met my wife, she was actually a single mum. So that was a, a really fascinating process because you're, you're creating two relationships at, at once. And um, I mean, I, I knew my wife through work and we'd known each other for quite some time. So we sort of already have that foundation there, but then you're starting a completely new relationship with her four-year-old daughter at the time. And so that was so cool and it was so different um, and it had its challenges, obviously, but what it did mean then when, when Jack was born, it was actually, um, I, I kind of feel like I let down the team a little bit because my wife was like, here's what happens. Like, you know, she was so organized, she was so ready. And I just sort of like sat back and let her do it and, you know, contributed where I could. But um, I think that we're very, very fortunate to have Again, it would be hard to say that any regrets or, or not know anything because through dumb luck or, or whatever, I'd built the foundations of our financial situation 
long before I met my wife, long before I became a father. And I always knew that when I did become a dad, I would have got myself into this situation where I could do it a hundred percent. So that when Jack was born, I was in that final year of transition. So I, I was working two days a week as a physio as I was transitioning out of my the business partnership I was in. Um, but I did get to see his first steps. I did get to hear his first words and his first crawling and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the, I guess the only regret would be that had I known, like, you know, start a year earlier um, and and sell, like, sell your business the day your son's born. I, I sold out of the business on his first birthday. But I really did enjoy, for my wife, you know, she'd been a single mom for a very long time. And so she hadn't had a social life. And I had come from university and, and, you know, traveling around the world, backpacking and even traveling with athletes, athletes party harder than anyone I've ever met. I'll tell you that. Like when, you know, if you sacrifice for four years and then you, you have like one, like 23 second race or whatever at a world <laughs> cup and your whole life, not 23 seconds, but your whole life is, is about a race that's under 60 seconds. Right. And you've been training for four years, you party hard. So, so like when, when that sort of came along and there was that like, well, Angie, I want you to go out and do the social things and, and do that stuff that you haven't been able to do for years. Cause I'm kind of done mm -hmm. and I'm actually totally okay with sitting at home, uh, watching the son of mask and watching the wiggles <laughs> and really growing that relationship. And, and so you know, our daughter and I, we, we have this incredible relationship where we're able to, you know, be really honest and open with each other. And it all just came back. We we're just laughing about it just the other day of, you know, times where we're up watching kids movies at 3am together and stuff while we wait for mum to come home because she was finally able to, you know, have a social life again. So yeah, that, that was, that was always the most incredible part for me. Yeah. What was it like building a relationship with a four-year-old? Well, it was interesting because yeah, you, I think you just, you have to give unconditional love, you know, from, from day one kind of stuff, but it, it was obviously different because they're, they're already at a point where they can communicate, where they, mm -hmm. they have their own personality, where they have their own, you know, thoughts and, and beliefs starting to happen, obviously. So um, you can't just come in as an outsider and just expect things to be different or whatever. So, you know, but we, I think we just, we got along from, from day one and in that regard that, I, I would come home and again, like, you know, Angie was a, a very busy overworked single mom. So I could come in and provide that fun and, you know, just take her to the park or, you know, take her to the trampoline or something and just give Angie some of that, some time off and, and just some peace and quiet. So again, I got the, the easy aspect where I just got to do all the fun stuff. It's like, well, you, you relax and you have a little nap and I'll go and, you know, I've finished work now and I'll go take her to the park for a while and stuff like that. So um, I mean, I can't dance, so that was one lack of thing. But you know, growing up on the Gold Coast, Dreamworld was our babysitter. Growing up on the Gold Coast in the '80s, so you know, a lot of road trips to Dreamworld and, and reliving a lot of those sorts of things in our childhood. So, you know, great fun moments there. So many memories. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And and tell me about Angie. Like, yeah, tell me about your relationship with her and and how that's blossomed over the years. Yeah. So so we met through work and. Um, apparently from her side she was you know there's that's the guy i'm gonna marry she still claims that day one uh, i'd been working at the hospital for about six months or so when she started um and she claims that she went home and said you know mom i've met the guy i'm gonna marry she never told me this obviously um <laughs> um but no uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you could have told me, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there was, there was a, there was an attraction straight away. Um, and then, you know, through 
life events on her side, she she falls pregnant as a, as a single mom. And so for me, there was like, well, you know, there's an amazing girl, but like, you know, she's pregnant. So probably don't ask her out. Um, she probably got <laughs> other things on her mind right now. Um, but so we did build, you know, a great friendship. And then being totally honest, like when I remember coming home from, from a, a, I just spent six months away, again, traveling on the ski fields. And then at, at, at the Cricket World Cup with um, with the Scottish cricket team. And there was sort of that, you know, approach from her side. And at that point, it was like, look, I'm, you know, I'm traveling the world. I like, I don't know if I can give you what you and your daughter deserve. Um, so again, you know, I probably ran away from that situation a little bit because I, my life was just too hectic and, and too, you know, uh, unstable, which is fine when you're 25 and single. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't a situation that I wanted to like give false hope or give false, um, you know, or be unreliable. So it took us a few years to really just sort through all those things and like a maturity level from my side. And again, just having to get a few last things out of my system. And again, now, like, you know, when you look back and you, you, you know, you put the red string together in hindsight, I totally love being a dad now. And I am very grateful, fortunate, grateful. And, and again, however, dumb luck, I did everything I ever wanted to do um, yeah. pretty much before I turned 30 outside of being a dad. I did get to travel the world. I did get to see so much. And I mean, Angie and I just had a bucket list honeymoon uh, or 10 year anniversary, I should say just the other day, but you know, I pretty much ticked every single box in my life outside of being a husband and being a dad. So I didn't come in with that point of like, Oh, the kids are taking away from all these things I want to do. And the kids are a burden and, I wish I could travel more, but I can't because of kids, because, you know, very fortunate that I'd traveled so much and done all those things. And now incredibly fortunate that with our work and, and, you know, with our business and that, I mean, we're, we're going to New Zealand in a month and, and, you know, the, the guy sort of rang and said, can you come over and train leadership and Hey, we'll, we'll bring the kids, you know, we'll oh, pay really? for the kids to come out as well, because we know that's you're a package deal essentially. So the kids get a week off school. They get to see mum and dad work, you know, in, in our business sort of sense. And they also get to hang out in Queenstown um, for a week between our responsibilities and that we get to take them around town and, and, you know, take them jet boating. Jack wants to bungee jump. Um, he's, <laughs> well, th he'll be 13 months too well. young. Um, so he's, he's asked for his 10th birthday, if he and I can go to Queenstown and bungee jump yep. um, and, and all that kind of stuff. So Again, like they, when they came along, it was incredible because we could dedicate 100% of our life to them and not feel like we were missing out on any of our own personal life goals. Yeah. I loved how you said before, like you, you were at that stage where Angie could go out and socialize. Mm. And there's a lot of families, like our, our family, like we don't have a huge network of support around us here on a sunny coast because we obviously we're not from here. And so for our first four, five years, like we've been doing it on our own and and so, but recently Rachel has been able to go out and she started playing netball again and she's, you know, doing socialization stuff. I'm starting to go out as well and kind of like, oh, this is, you know, we're coming, coming out of those baby years and we can mm. now do this. this is really like empowering moment and, and you feel a little bit younger again. And it's just so great that, you, you know, she could do that and that you're at a stage where you could stay home and, and look after the kids as well. Cause not everyone's got the grandparents around or, 
or a close uncle and aunt that they could do, or even people that don't trust babysitters. You know, there's a lot of mistrust for babysitters as well in different families. Like our family, like we're a bit like, oh, like these are our babies. Can we leave yeah. them with a stranger? We're a bit worried about that type of stuff. So, um, but let's talk about work now. And I love this idea of being financially free at 33. Talk us through like, why did this seed get planted in your mind? And, and like some of the, I guess, the challenges you found along the way and some of the triumphs as well. There was sort of those questions being asked at university. And, and I remember even sitting my med entrance exam because the, the whole plan was that you would do it. And it's called the GAMSAT exam. And it's this brutal, like, you know, three hour one and then a little break and then a three hour one and a little break and then like a four hour exam. Like it's just this most brutal head thumping day. But um, I remember afterwards and and I passed and I got the letter saying, you know, you are welcome. And and it was my best mate and I, and we're sitting there with these letters and we're like, I don't think we can do this. And, and he's, he was a physio as well. And we we're sitting there with these acceptance letters. And, and I was like, maybe we should just like go to America for a while. <laughs> I just, and we did. And, um, you know, and you know, he's, he's an incredibly successful physio still. And, um, but yeah, we, we lived in America for a while together and we did all this stuff beforehand, but, um, the, the key mindset and the thing that it took me a while to get my head around was the difference between money and wealth. Mm-hmm. And, and this is really like, you know, the, the sort of key thing I love to talk about and key thing I love to help people with is, is we get so focused on, you know, if I have a million dollars, I'll be rich. Now, mm-hmm. money is a, in a bunch of figures in a bank account. Wealth and freedom, it, to me, wealth is a measurement of time and freedom is a measurement of choice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, financially free, are we flying private jets around the world? No, but we get to choose every single day what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we get to choose what we wear, when we wake up, what we, and again, the dog wakes me up. So there's, uh, since getting a dog, some of my freedom has been taken away from me, but it was always about, okay, well, if I kept going down this path, I would be able to make money, but I wouldn't have choice or freedom. I wouldn't have wealth. And so I had to find vehicle to help with that. And and there's, there's so many vehicles out there. And like, I, I like to sort of talk about it, you know, two sides of a coin, right? So one, on one side of the coin, you've got to make money. And then on the other side of the coin, you've got to then get your money to make money. Mm-hmm. And it's quite easy to make money, but the challenge is getting your money to make money. Now there's actually a third side to the coin, which is the edge. And there's literally on a circle, you know, an infinite number of edges Um, as you go around the circle. Now, there's an infinite number of ways that you can create an income in this world. And, you know, COVID really showed that to a lot of people and with technology and social media and all that, so many different ways that you can create an extra income. So it did take me five years of failures to sort of Mm -hmm. find what worked for me, but it was truly about understanding right you know, once it clicked in my head that it's not just about making money, it's then leveraging that money that you make and putting it to work because you've got to give your money a job. And so like, you know, my mate and I, like we, whenever we're coaching, it's always like, like, does your money have a job? Because if it has a job, it's going to go back and come home with some friends and it's going to come home with more money. And then, you know, when your money is making money um, and then you use that money to get more money and it's like you create a wealth loop. And it's like, well, how do you create your own wealth loop? And so we we have this coin and we we make money and then we use that money to make money. And then we just kind of create this loop. So it took me, you know, a number of years to sort of really get all that figured out in my head. But the biggest thing was just understanding that at the end of the day, we wanted 
a choice and time. Mm -hmm. Now, money is very important <laughs> in buying you choice and buying mm -hmm. you time. Like if you don't have enough money, that's when you have to do things that you wouldn't generally choose to do. So, you know, like money isn't the main thing, but it's just the vehicle to help you get there. And that was really the key understanding. Okay, well, how do you find that vehicle that's right for you? How do you create that vehicle and then put your money to work? And if you can do those two things, then you'll be able to create this freedom. I think a lot of people struggle with they make money and then all what they do is they buy things to impress their friends. And, um, you know, I was, I was chatting with a mate just about this the other day, he came up, we did a workout in the backyard and then he was just sort of asking for some advice. And it was like, he said, you know, what's really the key for you, the, the difference between financially successful people and not. And it was like, you've got to be willing to be poor mm -hmm. and like be seen as poor and be willing to sacrifice long enough to be successful enough. And I think so many people, as soon as we make money, we spend it yeah. instead of giving it a job. And yeah. so, you know, I remember times where, yeah, you're living, driving a 15 year old, you know, <laughs> uh, I was driving this little, it was like 15 year old Ford laser. And I was riding my bike to work at times to save money on petrol. And, mm -hmm. and people are like, you know, you're, you know, you, why aren't you upgrading your car? Why aren't you this? And I'm like, well, you know, I've got three investment properties, but I really want four, five, six, you know, accumulating these things. And so I'd rather, buy another investment property at the moment than buy a car mm. because that's what fits my financial goals. So that was the sort of process that we went through. And really, you know, I was fortunate again in, in a great sense that a friend of mine was, um, he took over the family business of property developing. So he kind of, you know, taught and mentored me into getting my foot in the door in property. And then that's where we've created a lot of our you know, legacy and our wealth is through property development and property investment. Um, so you, you meet people along the way when you start moving in different circles. But to me, it's all about just that mindset of what would I choose to do? Well, how, and how much does that cost? How much does it cost to choose what I do each day? All right, let, let's, there's the goal. Yeah. Now let's get to work on that. Was it just property? Because like, I remember when the GFC happened and yeah. I was early into my career and, and I actually watched some people who were like, they had that, you know, the golden superannuation where they were going to get like their entire wage or 90% of their wage paid out for life. And, but then they couldn't because GFC happened. It took all their superannuation away. And this is when I started thinking, what else can I do with my money? I don't want it to be locked up in these type of super funds. And then I started exploring what super is and I started mm. to understand the share market and how it works and now how it's actually a good thing to have these cycles because it comes back up as well. But then really like, I've only ever really known shares as, as, a, as a vehicle, like you said, but also property investment. I used to have a property as well, but we sold that to buy our house. Are these the only two vehicles or you, you said there's an infinite way of making money? Have you explored other vehicles as well? Yeah. So again, I think that like there's an infinite way of creating cash flow. Take it back a step. Like, so if someone came to me and said, I want to start investing, I'd say, okay, well, like th three, three questions first. So one, do you want cash flow or capital gains? Mm -hmm. And 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 if you don't know the difference, then you're not ready. Like go read a few books, right? But like, you know, cash flow is essentially, yeah, you, you buy a, a rental property and the rent that comes in is the cash flow. And if the rent is more than it costs you to hold the house, your money is making you money every week. The tenants are giving you rent and that pays the bills and you get to live off it. 
or you buy a, a stock and it gives you dividends, right? Or you can go down the capital gains path and you, you know buy for 10, sell for 20. Yeah. And you go down that path, there's commodities, there's crypto, there's Forex, there's you know futures, there's options. Like again, there's so many infinite ways. Why are you investing is the key. If you're investing for cash flow, then don't buy commodities. Because, you know, like if you're going for capital gains, then yes, maybe commodities are a great thing for you. Second one is, are you actively investing or passively investing? So I like property because I want to put my brain and I was just having a phone call with a real estate agent friend because she's like, oh, you know, I've drove past one of your houses the other day. And what I'm thinking is like, and we can get this and we can get this development approval. And I'm like, you know what? I want to buy houses and then forget them. Because mm -hmm. I use my creative effort, I use my creative genius elsewhere. Yep. You know, if you want to buy it off me and do all that, you do it. <laughs> but like for me, I, I want it passive. Yep. Now, you know, you could again active, you could buy the property and renovate it, you could buy it and flip it, you could buy it and get a development approval, DA, and, and all that kind of stuff. Again, stocks, commodities, um, forex, and you can trade, you can actively trade these things, or you can just buy gold and stuff it in a safe and never touch it. And then the last question is, yeah, are you, are you doing it for today or are you doing it for mm -hmm. 20 years? So again, for us, like the, the property is predominantly for the children. Now it does give us money. It's a, it's a cash flow, passive, long-term investment. It does give us short-term cash flow as well that, you know, that we can live off. But really it's about buying houses, you know, in Budrum 10 years ago that are now worth, a significant more yep. and you know in 10 20 years time we can give them to the kids kind of stuff so you've got to ask yourself well why am i investing is it capital gains or cash flow is it active or passive and is it for now or the future and that will really help you direct the best thing for you the reason i choose property is is a couple of reasons one because my mate was a property investor and so investing what you understand you know, don't put any money in until you actually understand how it works. So I understood property sooner um, yep. because I had a mate who was actively in it. Um, B, I again, I I like to not think about it. So if you buy a house, you pretty much there's nothing you can do now. <laughs> it's like okay, like whereas if you got a stock, it's really easy. And I do have some stock, and you know, like if you talk about like the percentage of your investment portfolio, like 95% of our money is in property. Mm -hmm. Um, we do have some money in like a tech startup in the US. Yep. So it's pretty easy just to like, you know, uh sit there on the phone and like, <laughs> oh, it's you know, it's down 10%. Oh, it's up 20% because it's a tech startup, right? It's like it's all over the shop, right? <laughs> if I had a hundred percent of my money going up and down 20% a night, I wouldn't be able to sleep. So like stocks for us, uh, it's just it doesn't fit in our thing because our business brings us cash flow, and then we our houses can just take care of the capital gains, right? Um, but again, like what do you understand and and what do you know? So that the crypto market's really big at the moment. You know, it's I think it's wild wild west, and, and be very careful. But you know, like for us, the property is something that we just can't really touch. So we just buy them, we put tenants in, and then we leave them alone. Um, and that's what works for us. We do have stock in it in our self-managed super. And again, we do have, mm -hmm. some, you know, some speculations in some startups and stuff, which is a very small percentage of our money. But to me, yeah, like just, and, and I literally did my podcast episode on this just before we jumped on, like before you play the game, learn the rules. Yeah. 
we're never, you're never going to give financial advice, but if I could give you education, <laughs> um, know the rules of the game before you set foot on the floor. Um, because I, that's where most people get stuck. They get a stock tip from their friend or they get FOMO or they, you know, watch a Netflix documentary and then they're like, well, I don't, I don't know how to get my money out or I don't really know what's going on. You've got to understand it before you put money in. You've got to know the rules of the game. Yeah. So for us, passive property investing, pretty simple rules. Yeah. You know? did, did you know about investing like growing up? Was it something that you'd heard of or was it more when you became an adult and you started looking at ways to diversify? Yeah. So again, my, you know, my parents were very traditional, very conservative, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, you know, that, that was how they were raised. And, you know, dad grew up on a, a like a banana farm in Mwollomba. Mum grew up in a, um, like a, her dad was a priest of like in, in sort of the rectory and in, inside that sort of circle down in Coffs Harbour, very conservative beliefs and very conservative views on money and work. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you got up, you worked hard and then you went to bed. So I remember even, you know, buying my first property and, and, you know, again, all, all with the best of intentions, but mum and dad were like, Oh, you know, like, Oh, but it could burn down and a cyclone could come and take it. And, you know, what if you, you know, like all this sort of stuff and telling you all the horror stories of, you know, my friend bought a house once and then their dog got run over and then like, so don't buy a house. So, and again, like, you know, incredible gratitude for them just doing the best that they could with what they had. But my mindset was really, well, just do the opposite of what your parents say, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, because financially for all the, income that they had in good professional jobs we we didn't have like a financial freedom we didn't have wealth we didn't have in investments and we we had a happy family and but you know it was never anything more than just well mum and dad had their jobs so my mindset was just well okay you've got to learn and, and i read a lot of books and you, you know you robert kiyosaki's and, and all those sorts of stuff and and even my, one of my favorite quotes is you know whenever you find yourself in the majority it's time to pause and reflect Mm. because most people unfortunately in this world are broken unhappy yeah so i kind of figured from a young age well if i just do the opposite of what everyone else is doing i'll probably be you know happy and successful yeah. um because you know most people are sort of just going down this path that ends inevitably in being broke or unhappy so yeah, yeah that was the thing I, it was it's purely self-taught purely you know making money losing money reading books surrounding yourself with mentors and all that sort of stuff but yeah it, it it there was nothing ever in our family but that's something that's really important to us obviously to even just a couple of days ago jack again at eight years old um we were talking about we've we've listed one of our houses in mountain creek just for um for sale at the moment and um you know he was sort of like how does that work and mm. and because my parents were renting at office and yep. that, you know, they've found a place. So now, okay, well, we'll sell it now that you found a place. And he was just trying to get his head around. Okay. Well, so nanny and poppy are paying money to live in that house. Right. And we start having these conversations yeah. that we never had around the dinner table. Yeah. Or in schools, you know, I remember yeah. growing up, we didn't really talk about these real life applications. It's a fascinating thing. Sorry to jump in, but I think it's, it's a standard question, right? Like, why aren't we taught this at school? And, mm. and, and our daughter Oceana is like very much like, cause uh, you know, I was a math nerd at school, so I'm sitting there doing grade 10 maths again now, like, which is really fun. Um, so I'm sitting there doing like, you know, simultaneous equations and algebra and all that kind of stuff going through reliving all those days. But, you know, like when we have conversations about her, cause she's, you know, she's saving up for her first car and all that kind of stuff. And she always says like, why aren't we taught what you do at school? 
and to me like it's, it's it's pretty simple really like if if i knew how to make money i wouldn't go and work for a teacher's wage yeah and i think that's the like that's really the problem the problem isn't really the school the problem is like if you know how to be financially free why would you go and hang around 15 year old kids who think they know more than you like you know by, by, by choice yeah and and that's i like and I, and I don't say that to be critical to teachers i have the utmost respect and very good friends who are high school teachers and, and primary teachers and the teachers at the you know jack school just down the road there it's an incredible school incredible community i have total respect for them but i could never do it because mm. i could never go in there knowing what I know and going in there and knowing that, you know, you're not going to be able like, you're not going to be able to live the lifestyle and earn the income that, you know, you can do outside of the school system. Anything you did do there would be like a, you know, would be essentially like a, a retirement project kind of thing down the track. So, so, mm. so tell me about network marketing. Like what's that? Is that what you do at leverage to legacy? So when, you know, when we went through like all, you know, we spent the years going through, like looking for the vehicles and, uh, you know, like I tried everything, right? Like I was trading pot belly pigs on the U S market. I, <laughs> I, I wrote a book about back pain. Cause again, I'm having like, you know, 20 patients a day, 17 of them, you're giving them the same lecture. And I'm like, why don't you just write a book about back pain kind of stuff? I was trying all these things. I try, like, I, I had this idea for a travel website, which it's still in the back of my mind. It would still work. I've st mm -hmm. like, so I won't say too much. <laughs> uh, I got this idea, right. But I had all these ideas, but nothing was working. And then network marketing always just was sort of this, you know, annoying little thing that annoying people did. And I, I never wanted anything to do with it. And um, I purely started because I needed to lose some weight for our wedding. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, everyone's biased, um, but my wife's really hot. Like, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty biased and, and she was like, oh, you know, you look fine. And I'm like, well, no one's going to be looking at me anyway, but um, they're going to be looking at her. But hey, like we're, we only plan on getting married once and I want to be proud of the photos I had. And this friend who was a physio and, and became a mentor of mine um, had been using these products from this company and, and that's all it was ever meant to be. And then what really happened was, you know, having that sort of epiphany one day where, you know, we, we were using these products and a few friends that, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, we'll, we'll buy them off you kind of stuff and, and a hundred, two hundred dollars a week coming in. But that's when the real epiphany sort of came. And I started, my mass brand started working because that's when, you know, Angie, you know, we were starting to talk about falling pregnant again and expanding the family. And it was like, I think the, the, the ugly stories are when people give hype and, and in anything, in any industry, the greatest thing you can give someone is hope. Mm -hmm. the worst thing you can give someone is hype and th th that fine line between hope and hype is that you know actually setting the right expectations and being realistic with things and so we never came in with this mindset of we're going to be financially free in network marketing and you know cars and walking across stage and all that kind of stuff and you know imagine what it'd be like like all the the fancy mm -hmm. stuff that you used to see on all the videos and let's have you know whiteboard presentations in the in the hotel meetings and all that kind of stuff it was like you know if you could just make two to three hundred dollars a week and then you could use that two to three hundred dollars a week to create that next investment property and then you know you double down on that and again you you then that money then comes back and you give that money a job and you use that mm -hmm. money to create the next property and that was always the goal was we started talking to other people like 
you know, if we can just help you make two to $300 a week, we're not talking about making seven figures a month or anything like that. Let me show you how to create that $300 a week and then put that money to work and start getting your foot in the door and start investing for your children. And because we had a different mindset on it and approached it differently, we grew this incredible business a little bit by accident. Again, like I mean, there was intention to it, obviously, but it was never, ever, ever meant to be the size that it came to. But we just found professional people who wanted to create an extra income stream to start investing, but they just didn't know where to start. And we taught them what to do and showed them that process. And you know, some of them then went and made you know a lot more than that. And we were able to make significantly more than that. Um, but that was never the intention. The intention was, what if this is, again, this is the, and I always talk about like, it's the angel investor. Mm-hmm. What if the goal was to be financially free through our property portfolio? And, you know, we, we, we have just sold off a few because the, you know, the sunny coast totally exploded, right. And we sort of trimmed the fat a little bit, but yeah. we had 15, um, at the peak just before the kind of real boom here. And we, we sort of shifted a few, um, and like, what if your business was just the angel investor to allow you to create that? So having come from a traditional business point of view, the biggest problem with traditional business, anyone who owns a traditional business is cash flow. Mm-hmm because you have so much money tied up in rent, in stock, in staff. And, you know, we made a a decent amount of money in a physio practice, but your expenses are just like so crippling too. Network marketing is the olden method, but now with social media, approach it differently and you look at it more like an online franchise model and helping people set up like a franchise, but one that they can run for a couple of hundred dollars a month instead of $10,000 a month, like a, like a small business would be. And if they're making a thousand dollars a month and it's costing them $200 a month to run and we're making $200 a week extra, like that return on investment, that profit margin, it's really hard to beat. And that's what I like truly understood it for. And, and again, it, it had been pitched to me so many times of the year of this you know, financial freedom vehicle, blah, blah, all that crap. It's a cash flow model. It's a like it's a high profit margin cash flow model that allows you to quickly create cash flow. And if you put it to work, then you can start to create things. So the true business now is teaching people that process. So, yeah. you know, through my podcast, through my YouTube, through my books and stuff like that, is teaching people that process of not coming into this expecting to be a millionaire, but actually let's show people how to be financially free through an extra three to $500 a week. What if we can help you make a thousand dollars a month and then show you how to create your financial freedom from that? Because to me, that's, and that's not just, you know, network marketing. Most things aren't selling that. Most things are like, here's how you make a thousand dollars. What if we got to show people the other side of the coin? Mm -hmm. We say to them, okay, well, like, let's actually then put that money to work and create it. And so it was interesting because, yeah, we got married just like just before I turned 30 or just, just after I turned 30, sorry. So I joined like three or four days before I turned 30. So again, this whole goal of being financially free at 33 and we managed to sort of do it within about two and a half years mm-hmm. once we found this vehicle and we just saw this vehicle differently. We approached it differently and we were able to create some very abnormal results as a, and that was allowing us to create a you know an incredible income and cash flow, which we were then able to turn into a great property empire and allowed us to be financially free, you know, 
minus eight years now. So, yeah. you know, which is, which is incredible. It sounds incredible. It sounds like an amazing, you know, journey you've been on. What's it like being like working in a family business in this environment? Like, you know, husband and wife doing it together. Yeah, well, it's fascinating. And that's actually our second book is, um, so <laughs> plug, shameless plug coming. Um, but so my first book was called The Way Out, which was, yep. you know, like, and, and to me, it was just sort of that picture of the guy standing there at a crossroad. And there's like, you know, big city there. And there's a, a fancy, you know, Fiji and island over there. And, um, and so then the second one was called The Way Out Together. And it was, Ooh. and it is, it's all about building a business, a couple. And, and it's fascinating, because, you know, it is a business of recognition and a business that, you know, when you do well, you're up on stage and I happen to present fairly well. So I do spend a fair bit of time up on stage teaching and coaching and I love it, you know, and I do genuinely love it. So people would always be coming up to us and like, you know, I, I wish my husband would do this with me or I wish my mm. wife and I would always be like, are you sure? You know, because like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world. Right. And, and anything takes work. And, um, Angie and I are polar opposites, which means we can cover each other's weaknesses, mm. but it also means we come at problems incredibly differently. And so communication has to be the number one skill in your business um, and communicating as a couple. And so to me, like I've always said to people, you know, in all my years as physio, um, you know, Angie worked in the hospital when I was when I was in the hospital system in my early years, and then I moved into private practice. But she was in administration, you know, so she she wasn't a, a health professional; she was in admin, right? I never came home and was like, Angie, why aren't you being a physio with me? Mm. Like you're you're crazy, you're wasting your life. Like leave your the job that you like, your clerical job, and go to university and be a physio with me, right? But people like join network marketing, like my husband has to join with me. My wife has to join with me. It's like, no, they don't have to. And even, you know, our accountant. And again, like, you know, I talk about this in the book, like great guy. He's been with me initially and then us for 15 years now or something. And never like, you know, zero interest in joining. Now he he's probably the one person in the world who knows more than me. And I'm pretty good with, I keep track of things pretty closely. And again, you know, I'm a math nerd. So I've, I've got the most amazing Excel spreadsheets you'll ever <laughs> see, right? He knows more than me what we've been able to build, right? And he's never once had any interest, any inkling to join, right? It's, it's totally okay if people don't join. So there's certainly challenges to it. It's awesome. It's awesome mm. to be flown to New Zealand with your wife and with your kids and, and getting to present on stage together. That's incredible. Um, and we've been able to see some incredible parts of the world together. We've been able to do some really cool stuff, but it's all based on incredible communication, which is, and, you know, spoiler alert, that's really the last chapter of the book is building a business with your spouse is really no different to building a great relationship. It takes communication, it takes sacrifice, it takes commitment. And if you look around and you look for excitement outside of your relationship, that's how things go wrong. Yeah. You know, if you don't communicate with your wife or, or partner, like that's where things go wrong. If you don't actually make sacrifices for each other and respect each other's needs, that's where things go wrong. And that's the same, whether it's business or relationships. So I sort of, would always say to someone, if if you if you want to build a business with your partner, whatever industry, whatever you're doing, it's a magnifying glass at the end of the day. Like think about it like a magnifying glass because if you do have great communication, if you do have a great balance of skill sets, if you do have, you know, good discipline and work ethic and time management, you will magnify something amazing. 
but if there are cracks, you know, they're going to come out. Um, they're going to be magnified. And, and when the spotlight's on, those cracks really start to come out. So just be conscious of that. Be aware mm. of that, that, um, you know, you don't have to do every single thing with your partner um, and still be able to create a great life together, to create a great empire mm. together. And, you know, our accountant doesn't have to join our business to be an incredible part of our empire that we're building. And he does his own thing and we do our own thing. And that can be okay with your partner too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Cause like we often like Rachel and I, like we often think about doing business together. So I've just started my business doing therapy on, on the sunny coast here. And, but I'm the creative and she's the logical one. So I'm the guy out there splashing cash and she's the one like saying, stop splashing cash. You, you, you're you not going to survive as a business owner if you keep doing this type of stuff. But I'm like, oh, but this is exciting. So yeah, we like, mm -hmm. and then I often think like, how would we go when she finally gets to that point where, because because she doesn't want to work in her nine to five job for a long time. And she's got dreams of having her own business as well. And and like, yeah, I was often think, is that going to be the, the best idea? But I think it's, as you said, it's, it's having that open communication and, kind of being on that same page, business planning together and, and you know, yeah. leveraging off your unique skills that you, each of you bring as opposed to trying to butt heads and, and, you know, keep your pride and keep your baby all wrapped up. And yeah. It's yeah. So you've got to, you've got to let ego go aside, but mm -hmm. Angie and I are the total opposite. Like she, she'll come and be like, you know, what would be a great idea? We should do this. Yeah. <laughs> and then she just sort of wanders off and it's like, yeah. Okay, so then I'll, I'll spend like the next six months with the actual processes of putting it all together. We're very blessed to have a nice big block over the hill. So we have leadership retreats at our house mm -hmm. and we have, you know, like um, we actually, they bring in little cabins and stuff and put cabins in our yard for the week while we have people here. And, you know, like that was an idea of hers. And then it sort of gets to like the day before and she's like, mm, it's not really what I imagined it to be. And it's like, I haven't heard from you for six months. Like you just kind of, implanted this idea and then wandered off so you know but yeah so it's it's communication it's fun but you've you've certainly got to sit there and division of labor you mm. know like who who is actually good at certain things who has a superpower here and who doesn't yeah. um and she has superpowers that i don't have and, and vice versa so you you have to know that and play to your strengths yeah, I love that. Now, Andrew, how could um, people find you if they want to work with you or, or read up more about you, get access to your books? Where's the best place for them to look? Uh, so simplest place is probably to go to my website, which is andrewlogan.net. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't get .com, unfortunately, because there's a, a sculptor in New York uh, called yeah. Andrew Logan, who was sculpting before I, I did anything important. Um, so, but yeah, andrewlogan.net and like on the landing page there, there's some, um, like links to my social media, to my, you know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, podcasts. And so you can, you know, if you're after some free info and content, you can just go there. There's some free, um, you know, just little business blueprints and, and stuff mm -hmm. that you can download off there. That's the simplest way. And yeah. And then, you know, if, if you see me on Facebook and shoot me a message, then, um, I'll, I'll definitely respond. Awesome. And I'll get the links from you to, to put in the show notes. If anyone wants to look you up, they can. And the last question I'll, I'll ask you is I like my guests to plug something that makes them feel good. So it's kind of like a pay it forward. It doesn't have to be anything related to what we've talked about. So it could be your favorite TV show you're watching at the moment or something you're listening to, something you've read recently, or even just a self-care activity that you like to do. Um, that's a really good question because um, it would be really hard to isolate it to one thing. I guess, um, I mean, if we talk about 
you know, if, if we just talk about the, you know, most dads listen to this and, and sort of men's health and that, um, and we did really touch on it before. If, if we could just talk from a physio background, um, as far as men's health and, and especially when we do become dads and that it's easy to, to lose ourselves a little bit in that. And people will be like, you know, I would stand in front of a bullet for my children. Well, I would also eat five healthy meals a day and exercise for my children. You know, it's about doing, doing it for them, not instead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it comes to like healthy eating and healthy lifestyles and all that kind of stuff, there, again, there are a million ways to do it. Just find whatever works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, in Certainly in my sports physio day, that was like the most commonly asked question. What's the best exercise? What's the best diet? The one that you can do every day yeah. is the best. And so if it's yoga, if it's, um supping with doing stand-up paddleboarding the other day for the first time tried that kind of stuff that was really good fun um when we're on holidays and you know whatever it is i I like to crossfit Mm -hmm. um and i've been doing that for 12 15 years now it was running before that it's crossfit now if you want to eat keto if you want to eat whatever just find the thing that you can do consistently and that you enjoy Mm. and that improvement in your health your mental health your emotional health all those sorts of things will help you become, you know, a better father, a better role model, all those sorts of things. So, um, and then I just read the compound effect too. Mm -hmm. A very simple, very easy book that covers a lot of those principles, the compound effect. Yeah, cool. I love that. Like do the thing that gives you joy because like we often, as we get into adulthood, uh, we lose touch of things that, that bring us joy. So I think it's a really good point that you've got there. Yeah. Andrew, I really loved our chat today. I think we could have gone on and on and on. I, I'm really keen to unpick your brain, but I'll, I'll let you go because I know it's school pick up soon and your dog's probably waiting at that door ready to... Yeah, she'd be down the bottom of the stairs waiting patiently. <laughs> She's all right. Uh, but thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing you know, your story. Yeah, not a problem, mate. And thanks for everyone who's listening. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode and I hope you got some value from it. If anything triggered your mental health today, please reach out to your support networks. Also, if you loved what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates. For more from Mindful Men, you can check us out on Instagram and YouTube and I'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below. But until next time, stay mindful.